Sometimes we think of uh, love and hate as opposites, and to some degree they are. And when we think of love, we think of God. When we think of hate, we often don't think about uh, God and um, the Lord. And yet the Bible talks about several things that the Lord hates. It talks about several things being an abomination to the Lord. Uh, it's interesting, in English, we have uh, just one word, hate. Uh, in Hebrew and Greek, the languages of the Bible, there's lots of different uh, words, several different words for hate, and they all have different nuances. Uh, we understand what love is. We don't see it enough in our world today. But we do know what hate is, and we see far too much of it in our world today. Um, you know, hate is this, uh, you know, a, a strong, more than just a strong dislike. Um, you know, you might uh, dislike uh, McDonald's or you know, some other place. You may uh, dislike certain activities or uh, things like that. But chances are you probably don't hate uh, those things. Uh, it's, it's much stronger than a dislike, and uh, the Bible commands us to not hate, generally, but then it commands us on the other side to hate certain things. And so, uh, by looking at, trying to figure out, what are we supposed to hate? Uh, what are we supposed to love? And when we ask ourselves that question, when we try to figure it out, we look at it and say, well, what does the Lord hate? Because if God Almighty hates something, it's probably a pretty good indicator we ought to hate it too. Uh, and if God loves something, we ought to love it uh, as well. Um, and uh, next week the Gideons will be here, but the week after we'll finish the series up and we'll talk about how does... Uh, this flesh itself out in our life, our everyday life. Um, but as we look this morning at what does the Lord hate, I want us to take a look at what's on the list, but also what's not on the list. Uh, and that tells us a good bit about the Lord. So Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, I want to call your attention to uh, this morning. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. And so the writer of Proverbs, this proverb here collects, and it starts by saying, six, no, seven things the Lord hates. Uh, this is a poetic device in common in Hebrew, uh, and it serves to emphasize these uh, traits. Uh, Proverbs says, you know what, there are some things that God hates. And as we'll see, hopefully, before the sermon's over, there's a couple things that are on the list more than once. 
And so if something's on the list more than once, it's probably because the Lord really, really, really hates it. And we probably ought to, too. Uh, and so we're going to look at these uh, seven uh, things uh, this morning. And the first thing that I want us to see that God hates, we need to know that God hates wickedness. Wickedness is evil. It's wrongdoing. It's bad stuff. It's things, though, that we oftentimes think, well, that's not really so bad, preacher. Yeah, I may have told a white lie, but it's not like I killed anybody. Right? If you're a parent, your kids probably have uttered that, or maybe you've uttered it. Listen, it's what I did really is not all that bad. And yet, murder was not on uh, this list, is on this list, but it's not the only thing on the list. And it's not the thing on the list that's there twice. But the first thing he mentions here is a proud look. What's he talking about? That we shouldn't, you know, be proud of how we look? No, that's not what he's talking about. Another proverb says pride goes before destruction. He's talking about the sin of pride. We know and talk about pride as being one of the seven deadly sins. One of, one of those that really will, will, will destroy your life. Well, in reality, all sin will destroy your life because that's what sin does. But pride is one of those things that we think, eh, it's not so bad. And yet, the Bible says, not just here in Proverbs 6, but in several other places, that the Lord hates the proud. He hates arrogance. He hates us thinking that we're more than what we are. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not valued and important because the Bible teaches us that we are God's masterpiece. David said this way, he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul in the New Testament says, listen, God loves you so much. You are his craftsmanship. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you and for me and for all the world, that whosoever would call upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's not that you know, God doesn't... It's that we ought to think of ourselves more than what we are and we shouldn't elevate ourselves in the place of God. We've seen over the last couple of years there's some government officials... Uh, and politicians and countries just in general that think, hey, we can take the place of God. And, you know, that we're the, the ultimate authority. Well, no government is the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. But when pride takes root in our heart, we begin to think we are more than what we are. And we forget who we belong to. Who our creator is. You see, there's not one of you here today that made yourself. You didn't say, you know, think real hard, say, ooh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I was a person. No, that didn't happen to any of you. Somebody made you. And yes, a mom and a dad all, you know, made you, but ultimately it was God that made you and formed you. 
David said in that same psalm that I mentioned earlier, Psalm 139, he said, you know what? In my, in, my, my, I was fit together in my mother's womb. In other words, before I was even me, I was yours. And you put me there. And you brought me life. And, and by the way, that's not what the sermon is about, but that's part of the reason why we as Christians believe that life is so valuable and precious. Because it is a gift from God, and that must never be taken lightly. And it must never be taken for granted. You remember that it was ultimately pride that drove Satan from heaven. Satan was an angel. In fact, he was a powerful angel. And the Old Testament tells us that there came a day when uh, Satan said, hmm, I'm pretty hot stuff. I'm just as good as that God guy. In fact, I bet I could do more than he does. And it was pride that caused Satan and thousands of other angels to fall from heaven. And I tell you that pride has been destroying people and keeping them from the, their full glorious redemptive potential since then. There are a lot of wars throughout world history that started not because of some noble means or, or for some noble cause, but because of pride. And so pride is destructive, and the Lord hates it. Now, pride, again, does not... We're talking about pride as in arrogance, and so maybe that would be a better way to say it. God does not like arrogance. We should take pride in the way that we look in, you know, pride in ourselves and our abilities, the gifts that God has given to us. But not get to the point, pride is a bad thing when it gets to the point where we think we're the ones that did it. Because it's not us that did it. It's God that did it. It's God that gave us the gifts and the abilities that we have. We must never forget that and never take it for granted. So the first thing the Lord hates in this list of seven is a proud look. The thing that makes it twice on the list, a lying tongue. And the, so the second and the sixth thing are similar. So lying makes it on the list twice. Being dishonest. Scripture and the old and the new talks about how much God hates dishonesty. Jesus said that you were supposed to be so honest that when you went to court, you didn't have to swear an oath. Because people knew if you said it, it was so. That if you said it was yes, it was yes. And if it was no, it was no. That you were that honest. It's hard for some of us to believe, but uh, Brother George... Uh, not Miss Kay, but Brother George grew up in a day, because Miss Kay's much younger. Uh, uh, Brother George grew up in a day where you didn't necessarily have to sign contracts when you were going to purchase a car. Why, you just shook hands. And why that? Well, today, 
And even if you got a contract, I don't know what it's that that things are, are sealed. Because we live in a... And we don't think... We expect people to lie. And so when can you tell that a politician is lying? His mouths are moving. His mouth is moving. That shouldn't be. We should expect not just our preachers and our church leaders to be honest. We should expect our leaders in, in civil government to be honest. Uh, and yet, we ex- should expect business folks to be honest. Honesty is something that the Lord prizes. And so lying is something that should not characterize a child of God. It certainly does not characterize God. In fact, lying is in Paul's list of those that aren't going to make it to heaven. Liars are on that list. The third thing, hands that shed innocent blood. I don't know that this is just murderers. Murdering is, is killing somebody that's, that's in, it's taking an innocent life. And it's certainly part of it. But I think maybe what the Lord said is hurting people that are innocent. And yeah, I think that includes killing unborn babies. Because life is so precious, as we've already talked about. But it's, it's more than that, even. I wonder if we don't shed innocent blood when we wish harm upon people. And when we don't help people that we have the ability to help. James said, he said, He that knows to do good and does not do it to him it's sin. And the Lord hates the shedding of innocent blood. Maybe not just murder, but fighting that's unjustified. Hurting the reputation, even, of people. Maybe even going as far as saying, you know what, maybe it includes slander. The Lord hates the shedding of innocent blood. Remember in the Old Testament, there was a play, if you killed somebody on accident, it really was an, an accident, you could find refuge in a, in a sanctuary city. And, and if the, you intentionally, out of hatred or malice, killed somebody, the punishment was death, that you were put to death. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. He wants us to understand that life is precious. And it's a gift from God. And we've seen as a society in America what happens when we devalue human life. All human life is valuable because it is made in the image of God. Well, we'll leave that there uh, and uh, notice what he says now. He said a heart, the fourth thing, a heart that devises, in verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans.
This isn't just doing evil. God hates those that sit around and think up bad stuff. He, he hates the evil, as we'll see in just a second, the doing of evil. But he hates even the planning of it. The people that, you know, think about how they can take advantage of others and how they can hurt others and how they can best protect themselves. Understand that God certainly does not uh, think of himself, does he? In fact, he gives us the example of giving of ourselves. And he gives us the example of loving and caring for others. You know, there are people all around every day. There, there's so much crime. We were talking about this in Sunday school. There's so many shootings going on in uh, central Mississippi, in Jackson, and uh, the, the surrounding area. It, it's no big deal anymore. In fact, we're surprised when it's only one. And that's a shame. It should not be that way. But it's a reminder that we live in a depraved, evil world and sin is rampant. Left to its own devices, this world will turn to evil and will become evil. Sin always destroys, by the way. It never builds up. It never gives life. It always takes life. It always kills and destroys. And these seven things, even they're things that destroy. Not only by the way those that are, it happens to, but those that perpetrate it as well. And so the proverb says that the heart that devises wicked plans. Jeremiah 33, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper and bless. God desires for us to know him. And he desires to make us new and to work in our lives and to, to bring blessing And yet, how often do we miss out because we're busy devising wicked plans? We're conspiring against others rather than working to protect and build up others. And so the Lord hates connivers. Wicked plans, that's what these folks are. But then he says, he also hates feet that are swift in running to evil. And true, even nobody, you know, so often we give the excuse, you know what, the devil made me do it. Uh, human beings have always been trying to pass the buck since the very beginning. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Adam's reply was, hey, uh, God said to Adam, Adam, how did, how did you know you were naked? He didn't say, well, I ate the fruit, and like you told me not to, 
He didn't take responsibility. What did he say? That woman that you gave me gave me this fruit and I ate it. I'm innocent in it. It's all that woman's fault. Uh, Women have been causing trouble ever since. Amen? Uh, (laughs) I'm just teasing about that. You know what? That's what sin does. It deceives us and then it causes... you know, we don't want to take responsibility to it. But the truth of the matter is, if the Lord's not living in our life, and if the Lord's not reigning in our life, our feet naturally, swiftly run to evil. You think as, as a kid, and probably even growing up, uh, as a grown-up, there are times when nobody has to convince you to do something you know is wrong. You just do it. You want to, you know, and mom says, you know, don't go past this corner of the street. Where are you going? Mom ought to be smart enough to know where you're going. (laughs) And and by the way, she does. When you do it, she knows about it somehow. But you want to go because she told you not to. That's what you want to do. Why? Because we're all affected by the disease called sin. And sin will cause us to love evil. And sometimes even good, godly, and God-loving people love what is evil. If God says something is evil, then it needs, we need to see it as evil as well. And instead of running to it, we need to run away from it. Because if you're running away from it, chances are it's going to have a harder time catching you. But it's not going to have a hard time catching you if you're just standing still or if you're running toward it. You know, I'm not the fastest person in the world. I can't run very fast at all, especially in dress shoes. And I've wanted to chase Miss Barbara, and you know, she, she can't run very fast either. But if she stands still, I'm eventually going to catch her. But if she keeps moving, it would be a hot, whole lot harder for me to catch her. And that's the way we need to see sin. We don't need to run toward it. We need to run away from it. But the Lord hates feet that are swift to running to evil. The sixth thing that this proverb says that the Lord hates is a false witness who speaks lies. Well, he's already condemned lying. This is the thing that shows up on this list twice. And the idea here is not just the fact of lying, but lying against someone else to cause that other person harm. And then the last one. One who sows discord among the brethren. In other ones, those that are seeking to divide and conquer. Those that want to, you know, stir up little bits of trouble where they don't need to. And, and by the way, uh, when those folks come, you get rid of them. And don't listen to them. The Lord hates them. 
I look through that list, you know what uh, I observe. All seven of these things ultimately did the Lord in. All seven of these things ultimately led Jesus to be crucified on the cross. Various groups of men thought they were more powerful than they were, and when their power was threatened, they began to scheme together. And they lied, and they hired people to lie about Jesus. They were guilty of shedding innocent blood. They devised wicked plan, a plan to lead Jesus to his crucifixion. They sought to divide the people of God. And God hates these sets. Now, there are other things that the Lord, the Bible talks about the Lord hating, but these seven things really pretty much encompass encompass all of them and this one heading the Lord hates wickedness if it's wicked the Lord hates it and if the Lord hates it if you're God's child you should hate it too and so if you hate something guess what that means it means you better not do it if you hate it don't do it But then lastly, uh, this morning we'll close with this, is that not only does God hate wickedness, but God hates false worship. God says, you know what? I don't want a pony show. I don't want a circus. I don't need incense and smoke and lights. And What I want is people's hearts. So I want us to look at three different scriptures from the prophets of the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. God says this to his people that are coming to God's house and worshiping him. He said, I'm sick of you. Coming to these feasts because your heart's not in it. You're going through the motions, and as soon as you leave here, you're just like the world. You're not living for me. You don't know me. You don't call my name. You don't follow my ways. You don't love the things I love, and you don't hate the things I hate, so I'm tired of you. He said, you, yeah, you spend a lot of time with these feasts, but I'm not in those feasts. Jeremiah 44.4, he says, Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. And then in Amos 5.21, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. God said, and by the way, he talks about this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He says, listen, I hate when your heart's not in worship. I hate when you're just going through the motions. 
hate when you say you're something and yet you're not. There are lots of folks that name the name of Christ. In fact, even studies recently have said that you know, though those that claim to be Christian in our country are fewer as far as a percentage than used to be, still better than 70% of Americans claim to be Christians. And yet the fruit of our nation and the mess that's going around in our nation certainly does not show that 70% of Americans are behaving like Christians. They're not behaving like Christ. In fact, they're spewing hate at each other, they're causing division, and they're filled up with pride. They're seeking how they can tear down others rather than lift others up. And what did the Proverbs say God thought about those things? He hates those things. And he says to his people here three times in three different prophets, I see what you're doing. In other words, I see you in my house. And I know you're in my house, but you're as empty as anything. There's nothing to it. Paul said it this way. He said there's a lot of people that, have got, uh, that, that say they have godliness but they deny its power. In other words, they claim it, but they don't live it. And God is saying, I hate those that claim to know me, and yet don't. It was ultimately the religious people that led Jesus to his death. The pagan Roman government really didn't care about Jesus and what he was doing they, for the most part left him alone up until the high priest got involved and contrived a lie against him and kind of broke, brokered up some charges it was those that thought they were God fears and yet they didn't really fear God what they feared was losing their power. And they feared losing their standing in the community, and they weren't having that. Jesus threatened their traditions as well as their power, and they didn't like that. And so they tried to get rid of him. But by the way, not to spoil the Easter story that we'll celebrate in a, a few months... It didn't work. Yes, Jesus was crucified. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And it was borrowed because he wasn't going to need it very long. And three days later, he was risen from the dead. He had conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so as we've seen this morning, God hates wickedness. And he hates false worship. So what does that mean? How do we apply that to our lives? Well, it means that we hate wickedness, we hate evil, and we hate false worship. We hate worship that's got the form of godliness, but there's no power there. 
where we go through motions, but we never see God do anything. And we say that we are here for God, but really it's evident. I've been, unfortunately, in some churches where it was very evident it was God was there in name only, but it was very clear it was about them, and it was for their comfort and their entertainment. Church is not for your entertainment. It's for your enjoyment. I think we ought to enjoy coming to church. Even when we're convicted and we've got to confess some things and repent, we, we should enjoy that because it means that we live with God. We're his children. But church is not here for entertainment, and it's not really even here for you. We come to church, it's about God. And we come to worship him, and we come collectively to worship him because that's what he says we're supposed to do. But he doesn't want us just to gather for gathering's sake, which is what they were doing in Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah's day. They were just there because they'd always just done it. Not because they wanted to invite God into their life or they wanted to see God work in their life. They simply wanted to have God in their back pocket as a get-out-of-jail-free card. And guess what? God doesn't work that way in the Old Testament, and God doesn't work that way today. And so if you're going to be God's child, you're going to hate what he hates. And he hates wickedness, and he hates false worship. And so you hate those things as well. And you do the opposite. Because love and hate are opposites. So if we're going to hate something, you know, if, we don't, if we're going to hate something, that means we have to love something else. God hates wickedness, and so what does God love? We talked about it last week. God loves righteousness. God hates false worship. What does he love? He loves true worship. You know, when we worship, and when worship becomes about us, how we know that is, hey, we say, you know what, I really didn't care for that song. Boy, it's special that he or she said, you know what? It's not about you. And if you leave saying that, that means you need to get your heart right and you need to adjust some things. Because even a song that you may not particularly like may bless somebody else. And it probably has some truth in it that you need to grab a hold of in your life. And so instead of saying, you know, I really didn't like that, I say, well, this music was, eh. But the, the power behind it, the message behind it, man, that was really good. That'll, that'll light my fire. Uh, you know, that's, uh, and, and our attitude should be that worship is not about us. It's about the Almighty. God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's supposed to be spirit in worship. We're supposed to be able to feel something. It doesn't mean that we conjure it up. But there's something here, and it's not can't can't be conjured up because you can't conjure up God. He's just here, and you know it when He's here, and you know it when He's not. And guess what the Bible says? The Bible says where there's two or three gathered in My name, I'll be there. So you'll know that I'm there. God doesn't want us to just go through the motions. He wants to live for Him and to worship Him, not us.
He doesn't want us to worship pastor or worship leader or songs or church building. He wants us to worship him. He loves that. He loves to hear his people worship. He loves it when God's people pray and when God's people sing and when God's people listen to God, his word preached and then respond to it. He loves that. But he hates when people are just going through the motions. So I hope we won't do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, as we've talked this morning about things you hate, Lord, help us to hate these things as well. Lord, help us to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Lord, help us to love true worship so much that we won't stand for false worship, that we won't just go through the motions, we won't just let church become routine, but we want to hear from you and we want to see you work in our lives and in our church, and in our community, and in our world, and we celebrate when we see those things. And Lord, we want to see those things more. As you've shared with us this morning, the reality of how we experience that more is we love you more, and we worship you more, and we love righteousness more. Because when we're doing those things more, we're seeing more of you. And Lord, maybe there's one here today and they're trapped in one of these things that we talked about and they realize that you hate those things. Would you help them to repent of those things today and find new life in you? Lord, they may be a liar. They may be a conniver. They may be an evildoer. But through your love and through your grace, you can make them into something new. And you will do that. And Lord, help us to always worship you in spirit and truth. Help us to seek you. Help us to hunger after your face every day. Forgive us when we don't. Stand together and sing a hymn of response. If God spoke to your heart and there's a decision you need to make, today would be a great day. This would be a great time for you to, to do business with the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Answer is turning your eyes upon Jesus. No matter what the problem is, the answer is that, turning our eyes on Jesus and inviting him to come. And I hope that we'll do that. Thank you so much for being here today. Let me encourage you, remember next Sunday, encourage you to be here, bring somebody with you. Um, Gideons will be here uh, to share with us about their ministry. I'm so thankful for God's Word. Uh, I have a feeling you are too. Uh, and the, God's Word is what the Gideon ministry is all about. And uh, they'll be sharing with us some testimony of how God has taken His Word and transformed lives. 
through Bible in a prison or in a school or in a hotel room, and God has literally changed somebody's life because they found God's Word. And by finding God's Word, they found the Lord. Uh, and so I hope you'll be here here that exciting uh, time. Um, and remember, we'll receive a special offering. But I hope that you'll join us tonight. Uh, Titans will probably not win uh, this year, uh, as has been the story of every year. Uh, but uh, there's always next year. Uh, next season will come, but there will be a football game. We may or may not. It'll be on the TV whether we watch it or not. It's another, depending on how interesting it is. Um, I think it's probably going to be a good game. Though, so. But we'll also have some food. We'll have games. Um, I know we've got uh, some various board games and card games and different things. So uh, please uh, 